I'm Matt Miller of the Ditch That Textbook Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great educational podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. The holidays are on their way, and they can be a particularly stressful time of year if you don't have a plan. Well, have I got a solution for you. Join my friend Lynn with ConnectFlow Grow in her launch of Stress Less Holidays. Through this live Zoom webinar, Lynn will teach you how to evaluate your stress and develop a plan to reduce it. This is an abbreviated version of her 21-day Stress Less Challenge to give you the best tools in the shortest time frame. A less stress holiday is priceless. Your investment of $17 per person or $2,500 flat rate per organization is the first step towards taking control of holiday stress. Learn more about Stressless Holidays and join by going to my website, stephenmiletto.com sponsors, click on the ConnectFlow Grow logo, and the link will take you to where you can find out more information and sign up. Time for you to stress less during the holidays. You know, I've had the good fortune to connect with several representatives from Kitcaster, a podcasting booking agency. They reached out to me on behalf of their clients who want to spread the word about their book, their story, their ideas, their businesses, and so much more. Kitcaster has been such a pleasure to work with, and I always enjoy working with their clients. Now, Kitcaster is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, which is really cool. And, and I got to ask you, have you been wanting to tell your story on podcasts? Podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand. If you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with Kitcaster. Go to kitcaster.com slash TLLK12 or go to my webpage at stephenmiletto.com slash sponsors, click on the Kidcaster logo, and apply for a special offer for just the friends of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Penny Swift, the Executive Director of Education Through Music in New York City, and Stephanie Nantel, the Assistant Program Director of ETM in New York City. Education Through Music exists to provide music instruction and performance opportunities through partnerships with under-resourced schools in NYC. What a cool focus. Such an awesome conversation. You're going to learn so much, you're going to want to reach out and help them. Thanks for listening. By the, by, by the way, before you go, it would be so awesome if you would take a minute to go to my website, stephenmiletto.com slash reviews, and left me a review for the podcast. Could you do that? Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. Hey, do you need help in becoming more effective at teaching virtual classes? Well, NVTA, the National Virtual Teaching Association, has a semester program that is college accredited and designed to help you become more successful as a virtual teacher. A few of the topics that will be focused on are establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources, among others. NVTA is an affiliate partner with Teaching Learning Leading K-12, and there's so much there to help you be successful in the virtual classroom. Uh, so take a look. Go to my website, stephenmiletto.com slash sponsors, find the NVTA logo and click on it to take you to their website. Happy learning. Boone Titanium Rings found on the web at boonrings.com is an affiliate partner of Teaching Learning Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and, and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser cut and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, 
They make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Today I'm talking with Penny Swift and Stephanie Nantel about education through music, which is focused on transforming schools with music education. A little about Penny and Stephanie. Penny Swift serves as executive director. She joined Education Through Music in 2017 as the inaugural chief operations officer. Penny has had an extensive career as an operational and strategic leader in early childhood education. Her career began in the service of under-resourced communities as a teacher and a special education administrator. As a lifelong advocate for equality and excellence in childhood education, Penny's experience led her to senior leadership roles overseeing early childhood centers. She recently served as a divisional vice president at Brightside Academy, overseeing all early childhood academies in New York and Philadelphia. Penny is a lifelong New Yorker and a proud alumna of New York City's public schools. She graduated cum laude with a master's degree in special education and a professional diploma in educational administration from the City College of New York. Stephanie Nantel serves as assistant program director. Stephanie joins education through music directly after teaching elementary music in NYC public and charter schools. She has two masters from NYU, a Master of Arts in Music Education and a Master of Music in Trumpet Performance. While at NYU, Stephanie taught as a private trumpet instructor for NYU undergraduates, non-music majors, tutored with America Reads, and worked as a digitization assistant in the archives department of the New York Philharmonic. Since graduating from NYU, Stephanie has earned uh, levels one and two Kodai and, uh, and her ORF methodology certifications and used those skills as a Kodai musicianship instructor with the National Children's Choir. Stephanie also has a Bachelor of Arts in Music from Rollins College, where her primary instruments were voice and trumpet. While living in Orlando, Stephanie worked as a trumpet player at Walt Disney World and performed in local elementary schools in a show about positive character traits for Radio Disney. Penny and Stephanie, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us today, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello. We're so happy to be here and speak with you. Well, I'm glad to have you both here. This is awesome. And boy, what cool backgrounds you guys have. And uh, what a, this is a neat thing for me. I mean, I, this is a note. I have nowhere did I ever practice enough <laughs> to ever come anywhere near any of the stuff you guys have. But the uh, um, but I started playing trumpet in the fourth grade, and it became a thing that I kind of liked and and uh, did it through college. And I lived and lived and breathed the marching band. And for me, even though I tolerated concert band and all those competitions and did those things and stuff like that. Uh, what it did for me is it gave me a place to belong and, and, uh, and, and some identity. And then down the road, who would have known that as a high school principal, I would use it to help me connect with kids. <laughs> but uh, good stuff. So looking forward to hearing about, um, you know, everything about uh, education through music. But before we go there, let's talk a little bit about both of you. Penny, you started your career of helping children through special education as a teacher. Why'd you choose this path? So ironically, I mean, just to digress a little bit, you know, I grew up in a home where we had very little, but I was always taught that we had more than others. And we should advocate for those that don't have, that didn't have what we had. Um, I'm very proud of the upbringing I had. Originally, I really wanted to go into the law and advocate for students with special needs um, 
And for, for a variety of reasons, that really just wasn't in the cards for me. Um, but the passion that I had to advocate was strong. And I also remember my third grade teacher, Mrs. Woods, and my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Toplensky, and how passionate they were about being around children. As an educator, you have a lot of jobs. You're a nurturer, you're a leader, you're a mentor, but you're really an advocate for children. So that's what really led me to becoming a special education teacher, um, advocating for those students who not only didn't have a voice, but needed somebody to have an impact on their lives more than anybody else. And it was a good role for me. Excellent. Very cool. Very cool. The uh, uh, Stephanie, you have a couple different degrees. One is a master of music and trumpet performance. Where'd your interest in the trumpet come from? I, I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? Of course. Um, so I actually started playing the trumpet because a family friend played the trumpet and they were willing to teach me. Uh, and I took off with it uh, pretty well. I, I seemed to have a natural inclination and I really loved it. Uh, and being in band became a home for me, like you were discussing. I, I always say I was kind of destined to become a band geek. <laughs> I remember um, I moved to a K-8 school when I was uh, in elementary school, and I happened to see the marching band practicing when I was in about fourth grade, and I was blown away. thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And after having a history of kind of failing in all the sports areas, finding my home in band and being able to participate in marching band and have that team community competition experience, uh, I just really loved it. It was my home. That's that's very cool. Very cool. The, uh, uh, so one of the things I want to ask you guys is, you know, can you talk about what music programs may have you know, just done for you as a child or when you worked with children prior to working with ETM? I mean, kind of I mean, it's I know you guys have different directions that you're coming from here, but uh, kind of can you talk about anything like that that might, uh, you know, how did music kind of impact you or whatever? So let's go over there. Sure. So ironically, I don't have a music background. I am a product of New York City public schools. Um, and I actually had to take chorus in the sixth grade. Um, I can sing. I can't carry a tune if you put it on my back, to be honest with you. And my chorus teacher actually said, you know, Penny, it probably might be better if you worked in the office for your music credit. And maybe that's where my organizational skill set comes in. And so I should be thankful for that. I will say it really put me on a track as an educator, how not to teach children, how not to treat children. So if there's a silver lining, that stayed with me my whole life. But I will share with you that over the years, it's really impacted my lack of confidence in the arts in many ways. And I always said I would make sure that I would be an advocate for, for children to be able to participate in classes and activities and within the performing arts most specifically music, that I missed out on. So here we are this many years later, and here I am as the executive director of an organization that advocates for music education um, because it's something that I can't do. And while I, I, I absolutely recognize and appreciate those that have a music background and how they appreciate music, if it's possible, I appreciate it that much more because it's something I can't do. You know, somebody who comes to me and, I don't know, can do math, I'm not all that excited by it because I can do math. I'm good at that. But music is not my thing. It's not that it's not my thing. It's very much my thing. But it's not something that I, you know, I'm gifted or talented in. 
So I sit here to advocate for somebody like myself who doesn't have that opportunity. Ironic. It's very cool. That's uh, sad what she said to you because I, I just know that, uh, you know, my pursuit of it, I can remember getting frustrated and things like this as a little kid. And, and I didn't stop or quit because I had people telling me, let's work with you. Let's work with you. I took some private lessons and he was a cool guy who was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not, you, you didn't spend any time last night doing this, did you? No. You know, so my point is, is that without my cheerleaders, I wouldn't have pursued it as far as, um, as far as I did. And, uh, cause I definitely, um, I'm sure I sounded rather intriguing in the beginning. So, uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, that's, it's um, it's sad that someone said that to you. It's cool that one of the lessons you got out of that is to make sure others don't get treated that way. Absolutely. And and there's some continued irony that the middle school where this occurred in the Bronx that I attended is now one of our flagship schools. <laughs> so um, it was interesting revisiting the school at one point in my professional career. It also brought back a lot of memories, to be honest with you. But there's irony in all of it. And there was a silver lining in it. Which is which is awesome, which is a good part. So, by the way, yeah, that would be that would be strange to go back into the school going, yeah, remember this place. <laughs> so, nice, nice. Stephanie, how about you? I would say that my pathway to becoming a music educator is also a little bit unconventional. Um, I did not want to have anything to do with teaching growing up. I think I was a a, a pretty intuitive and sensitive child. And I, I really felt that when I was a student that uh, my music teachers teaching wasn't their first choice. I felt like they had wanted to be performers and composers and kind of had ended up being teachers and it wasn't really fulfilling for them. Uh, so definitely that idea of, you know, those who can't do teach. And so that was not something that I wanted anything to do with. Uh, but had, of course, wonderful experiences making music. I really loved playing. I loved that aspect of having a community and belonging. Um, hated practicing, knew it was a necessary evil, but loved to be a part of that greater sound and ensemble. Uh, so as I continued to go on through college and then to do my master's, as I was at NYU, I began doing my trumpet lessons, uh, also began working with kids more in the classroom. I always loved kids, you know, and working with them, but just never wanted to make my life out of teaching. I started taking some classes, though, in different methodologies, uh, Kodai and Orf, and saw this very play-based way of teaching music. And I was like, this, this is how you teach, you can teach music this way? Just singing and playing games, and it was so joyful. Uh, and I thought, this is the way this is you're making music every day. And it, it's very engaging performance based. And I thought, you know, teachers need to be taught this way of teaching music because this really changes students experience in the music classroom and, 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 and the joy that they give out. And to me as a teacher, I thought, well, this is so much fun. This is so joyful. Uh, so it became my passion to teaching. I always knew that I wanted to go on and teach with music teachers. I knew that my time in the classroom would be kind of limited because my ultimate goal was to begin to work with music teachers and try to teach them this way of joyfully engaging with their students in their classroom to really build lifelong lovers of music. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I love that. That's uh, and it's, it's interesting that you didn't start off thinking about that. You know, that's like, no, what? that's, yeah, that's not my thing. And then come full circle. Very cool. The, uh, uh, let's talk about education through music. The organization is celebrating its 30th anniversary. Can you both talk a little about its purpose or why it exists? 
Sure. So, yes, we're very excited to share that we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this year. And, you know, what a great accomplishment for everybody that has worked with the organization and made an impact on, on hundreds of thousands of students in New York City. Um, organization was founded in 1991, where the founders believed that there was discrepancy in the education of, that the students of New York City were receiving and recognized that in order to make a, a, a difference and an impact, that music could be a catalyst to, to make those differences. Um, the intent was really to pursue equity and provide ex access to New York City public school students, recognizing there was a huge difference in the zip codes of, of students in, in the opportunities and the education that they were receiving. Um, the organization has two very impressive tenets, which has uh, provided us the recipe for success, and that is to make sure that we support our teachers with professional development, recognizing that our a successful teacher has a successful classroom, successful classroom produces successful students, and the strong leadership, leadership with our partnership principles and leadership within the organization. Um, for the two executive directors, we have both been um, educational leaders and educators, uh, not just in the music field. So that really is the differentiator and what sets us apart from uh, of other organizations. Uh, this year, we partnered with 53 schools providing comprehensive and sequential music education to over 18,000 New York City students. What does comprehensive and sequential really mean? Um, we partner with a school and we see every child in the building at least one, times a week, one time a week. So we're not a gifted and talented program. We're not a push-in program. We're not a pull-out program. We're here to say that music should be a core curricular subject and that is our intent to support the students, engage the students, engage the community, engage the families um, in an area that students don't always have access for. Very pow powerful there. That's um, it's cool what the pursuit has been. So that's it's cool because just I mean the difference <laughs> creating that access and then being there for the, so so they can continue it because you need that uh, support then once you start it which is awesome so you know anything else you want to add any any other thoughts yeah absolutely you know uh, Stephanie I'm sorry uh, I was just going to share some um, uh, numbers that I think are very impressive over the last thirty years um, we have seen more than three hundred thousand students in music class. We have provided more than seven and a half million hours of music education to New York City public school students, and we've produced over a thousand school concerts. That is an opportunity that students would have never had, had it not been for education through music. And I couldn't be more proud of the work and the history of the organization. Love it. That's awesome. Awesome. Congratulations on those success, because it's... I got to tell you, it's just, it's just a cool thing. I, I mean, I know full well, having been a principal who went to schools to make change, a lot of times what some of those schools had problems with were, were programs collapsed and stuff like this and, and had to hire people to rebuild music programs. And so it's, uh, it's interesting listening to what you're talking about in New York City. So um, all the kudos to this, this program, because I, I know a lot of families who benefited from us making sure they had access to the music. So good stuff. Any, um, yeah. It, one of the things that uh, um, I wanted to make sure that uh, 
we talked about just a little bit is that uh, what do you think kind of interferes with people with pro, with the music programs? I mean, why why is it that uh, the school the kids don't have them in those schools and you know they don't have access to them? And what's what happened? What's happened? Well, you know, probably one through five on the priority list of budgets, right? It's the first, you know, performing arts. Uh, and then what some people think of as enrichment programs or, or nice haves as opposed to must haves get caught, you know, get caught in the budget process. I mean, that's really why education through music is in existence. And, and it's a, it, it's, it's a tough call for principals when they're recognizing that they have to provide, you know, um, additional services for math and science and language arts when it comes to, you know, various, um, uh, you know, statewide exams. So we certainly understand that. But uh, the need for support in, in the financial arena and the need to educate the public, and when I say the public, that's all stakeholders and, and you know, families, principals, government leaders, to really have a true understanding of how music has an impact how music education has transferable skill sets to other classrooms. Again, we're just not a push-in program or a pull-out program. We support the math class. We support the, the, the reading and language arts class. We support the social studies class. It's so important to recognize that we're not quite sure why or how a children is attracted to attending school. Maybe it's math, maybe it's science, but maybe it's music. A student that's present will learn. And that music could be the, that music classroom could be the catalyst for that child attending school, therefore achieving an experience, academic achievement that they wouldn't otherwise. We've seen improvement in attendance rates when music is at the beginning and early in the day so that students are coming to school and then staying in school later on in the day. So there's just, there's a lot of barriers, but there's a lot of reasons why people should really engage and with education through music so that we can provide all that access and all that opportunity for the students. That's so cool. The, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it, it, you know, when I, when you think about having to uh, convince people <laughs> that it's important, I mean, cause I've run into that. I mean, that's, you know, my, my role. And that's why I mentioned some of that, uh, um, those other parts about my role as a, a principal going into communities where we had to rebuild programs that had dwindled and, you know, things like orchestra had become uncool. And, uh, you know, so the kids didn't want to be seen carrying around a violin or something like that, especially not a cello or a bass. And, uh, um, as well as in, uh, you know, band and stuff like this, you know, it, I, when I went to school, you know, Stephanie, you mentioned something earlier, I, you know, yeah, we were called band geeks and stuff like that. And, uh, and what was awesome was that we were also able to say, yeah, look at our trophy case though, <laughs> you know, and, you know, there were things like that, that made you uh, come together. And I can't say enough about how, you know, even though, yeah, I should have practiced a lot more, but I still practiced and made sure that I could complete certain aspects of what I was doing. And cause there's nothing better than, uh, making that performance happen. And I think it impacted me in, Understanding the role of my homework in other classes, I guess, is my point where I'm going with that because, you know, it helped me. Not that I was, I mean, I was a, I was a good kid. I was, I was good in, in school, but, you know, the preparation that I had to do for band also played off in my other classes. I guess I'm going with that. I mean, do you see that working with kids that it has, has that type of payoff? 
absolutely, you know, the investment in, in the music program invests the kids in their greater community. It helps them build relationships with their peers, helps them build relationships with their other teachers, you know, and we are very careful as we work with students in the schools to help build those relationships with the other classroom teachers and our music teacher. You know, when our when students participate in our ensembles, when we start bands and orchestras, we make sure that when they're going to their lessons with their music teacher is changing every week so that they're not missing that same time in math and English and uh, you know, to, to really prioritize their their position in the in, entire school. Uh, we, we we really want to partner with everyone to best support the needs of the child in that way. And I, I was just going to add about the, you know, the conversation we're having. I think a lot of people are not aware of what is the state of music in schools across their country. They just assume, oh, of course, music is happening in schools. And when they find out the numbers, you, it's not, of course, you would think in New York City that we are prioritizing the arts in schools, but it's, it's not the case. And we have affiliates across the country, you know, in LA and, and in Denver and, you know, in Massachusetts now and, it's because the need is all over. And I think just many people are not aware that music is just not a given in school. Yeah. It's, it's sad because that's, you're so right. I mean, it's one of the things that, uh, you know, I had to make choices. Let's go back to just my own personal experience. I had to make choices where, um, music programs have been decimated where at one time the, the, the band program had over a hundred people in it. And when I got there, it had like 28 kids and, and, uh, you know, orchestra had like 17 and, and the, you know, I'm surprised the teachers didn't even bother staying because their their uh, percentage in those school systems they could uh, take percentages of teachers if <laughs> um, in in a, um, creating their allotments and stuff like this. So if you you could have a band teacher who was there for only fifty percent of the day, and uh, um, and part of that they had to teach other classes and things like this. So you know, and so having to restore that, you had to convince people that because I had to then choose not to do something else and. So I eliminated these classes so that you could rebuild it. And so I understand those budget things because it's, it, I think somebody who doesn't understand the importance that it plays in it. I mean, cause it's, it's just such a, there's so many different things about music. I mean, I don't know what you've run in with and the many kids that you've worked with, but uh, have you got any of those success stories that uh, you kind of like to share with people? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, if I may for one minute, here's an interesting statistic that I would just like to share with everybody. Um, New York City is the cultural arts center of the world, right? And yet 55% of New York City public schools don't have a certified music teacher. Wow. Right? So uh, that's telling, by the way. <laughs> it's just, I mean, we're obviously trying to eliminate and reduce that number, and that's our goal. Um, but uh, a v- very interesting story. We have uh, one of our board members, Joshua Bell, uh, world renowned violinist. Um, had the opportunity to visit a school many years ago, same school that I graduated from that I was asked not to participate in music, but there was a a student there who was challenging. The teacher was um, really working with this student quite a bit um, and was challenging time and time again. But when Joshua Bell visited the school and brought his violin and music to the program, very much inspired this student, changed his entire behavior, his outlook on his schooling and his education. Eventually, this student uh, made it to The Voice and was one of the final contestants. Um, Now, uh, truth be told, we are not an organization that is just 
trying to get students on The Voice or America's Got Talent or American Idol. We are here to provide education to all, music education to all our students. But it just goes to show you the impact of what that music class and this one individual had on a child. And if we can advocate, as I've always wanted to do, and make those kind of impacts, we're doing our job at the end of the day. We're changing a life. I truly believe in EPIC. Every person influences children. And that's what we're here to do in a very positive manner. Awesome. Stephanie, got anything to add to that? As someone who just spends a lot of time in the schools watching the students and the teachers and the relationships that they build, you know, like Penny said, you know, it doesn't, it's not always an American Idol, you know, the voice success story, but watching how a teacher grows and builds a program and how they develop those relationships with those students from the beginning to end, there is no doubt that these lives have been touched, both the teachers and the students and the families in the school. And that's what I really love about ETM is we don't just serve the, the students and the schools and those communities, but we serve the teachers as well. We don't compete with the Department of Education. We partner with them and we don't compete with other teachers. We are creating more teaching positions within the public school system. Our goal is to hire our teachers to help them build a place within that community where they are invaluable and then they become hired and continue to build their program. And that is very unique to us and something that I love and am very proud of. Very cool. That's, you know, and, and, and since we've kind of gone that direction, I mean, Education Through Music seeks to partner with the schools in NYC, which you've referenced a bunch. I, can you talk about how this works? I mean, how, how does that, you go knocking on the door and say, hey, we want to build a music program at your place, or they come knocking on your door and say, hey, we need you to come build music. I mean, how does it work? So the majority of our principals do reach out to us. Um, we're not cold calling any of our principals. It's, it's, um, it's not a robocall. It's not spam. Um, <laughs> nice. Principals reach out to us typically by word of mouth. Um, they, you know, uh, one principal will see performance at another principal, uh, at another school, I should say, and are very inspired by the work that we do. Um, and they will contact uh, our director of partnership programs. And uh, we start the conversation to make sure that um, we can make this work. Uh, that they believe in our mission, that there's strong leadership in the school. Um, and so so it, it's really by, by word of mouth um, and our reputation, uh, which is always, you know, our brands and our reputation, which is very important. So um, those, those principles that are very interested and very vested um, will contact us. And that's how we start the ball rolling. Excellent. The, uh, that, that's pretty cool. The, uh, you know, so, uh, it, is, is it just that simple as, you know, you guys come to a meeting and say, okay, we're going to make this work. And I mean, I'm sure you have to establish times and play. I mean, like, do you need space in the, you, you need to have space in the building or is it that uh, you just, any space works or I, I tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I, I mean, cause unfortunately, like some of the experiences I had was that they had, they had transformed places that should have had, you know, where there were qu- choir rises, risers built into the floor they had taken them out and sure. you know put other things in there and it's like why why would you do that you know, anyway so we do have a, a i like to think of it as like a can do why not attitude we do everything to make it work right like our preference is obviously that there's a music classroom in the building um however if there's not one this year but there could possibly be one in the following years 
uh, will certainly partner with that school, again, with the intent that there will be a music classroom. It's the best for the teacher, and it's really the best for the students uh, for there to be a, a, you know, a dedicated music classroom. Um, uh, but again, bringing it back to the student, you know, you peel back that onion, right? Bringing it back to the students. We're there to make sure that the students have access to music education. And that's why we go back to that can-do positive attitude um, to try to make it work for every for every principal that gets in touch with us. I mean, we have principals that get in touch with us. We have parents that call us. We have um, district leaders that advocate for us. Uh, we have teachers that advocate for us um, and will contact us. So, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders in, in the pod for this. Very cool. That's it. This is incredible. I mean, what, tell me, you know, kind of how, let's talk a little bit about how you determine. So you make the partnership start to work and, uh, um, and so how do you determine what's going to be taught or what programs you're going to start with? Or, you know, uh, I don't even know if those questions make sense. I mean, I have all this stuff in my brain. Like, do you start with orchestra? Do you start with choir? Do you, do you bring them all in? Do you do a um, band? You know, my thing, I, I would have been right on your front doorstep. You started offering, you know, anything where I could play my trumpet. So what, how, how do you determine the programs? We really try to meet the needs of the, the school and their community. Uh, so as Penny said, you know, our mission is every student served. And so that is through general music. Um, anything that we offer beyond that is allowing students to self-select. So I would say when we start in a, say we start in a typical K through five elementary school, we would start with general music for students K through five once a week. Um, they would have two community-wide performances a year to be able to, you know, show off the work they've done and their learnings and just celebrate together. And then we would also offer what we call um, select choir. It's not select and that it's audition-based, but that the children are selecting themselves to participate in it, either before or after school, of course, you know, at no cost. Um, just to give that extra opportunity for the students who are really wanting to engage further in music and to really come to just sing and make music. And so we would start that at a first year in a new partner school, then based on the needs and wants of that school and the needs of the teachers, because of course you want teachers to be able to teach authentically to their skill set. We might start a band or an orchestra. Um, that would be something that would happen typically before or after school, two days a week. Uh, the teacher, as we said, would do a rotating lesson schedule. So the students are not only having that whole group and experience, but they're having that kind of small group one-on-one -on -one, uh, work with their teacher to help really grow those skills. And that leads to something that I really love and is really exciting because as a former New York City music school teacher, the idea of starting an ensemble and getting actual band or orchestra instruments into my students' hands was completely overwhelming. The funds, the actual resources, the scheduling, I never would have had the ability to do that on my own. And that's something that ECM helps schools and teachers do. And I think that's a way that we really bring extra value to the school through our programming and, and to our students' opportunities. So we help our families with the rental process and you know, and getting the instruments. And then we celebrate our, our bands and our orchestras and our choirs with uh, what we call the ETM Festival at the end of the year. And when you're talking about seeing those changes through students, seeing students get up on a, a, a giant stage, we typically hold it at the Lehman College. They have this humongous concert hall, uh, you know, professional stage lights, big stage, professional sound. And they get up on there and they perform for audience of their peers and we bring audience members from the schools and they get 
uh, medals for participating in a trophy for their school. And that is such a special opportunity, not even for their students, but for those teachers, that built-in performance opportunity that we've given them where they get to collaborate with other schools and and showcase what they've done. Uh, something really special and really that I love and, and definitely something that draws more partner schools in. But we we, we know how to help build a successful program, so sometimes we have to tell them, no, we got to take take baby steps. Let's start general music. Every student served, get our get our things rolling, and then we can build up to those ensembles because we really want it to be a successful program for the school and for that teacher. That's so awesome. And I, I can imagine once they get a little taste of it, they start going, well, we could do this, that, and the other. And well, okay, we're getting there, all right? <laughs> That's, that's yeah, so. It's definitely our job to make sure that program is successful. So we need to <laughs> bring in our, our best practices that time and just do a little bit of coaching. But as Penny says, you know, we want to serve the students. We want to serve the schools. So we are definitely flexible and, you know, we'll do whatever we can to try to make these programs work and make sure that these kids have the experiences they, they desperately need and want and deserve. It's so awesome because I, I can't speak highly enough about music and the role it played in my life just simply because, you know, I, I don't know what made it happen. I think because I had heard my uncle telling stories about marching in the Macy's day parade and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and, and I saw his trumpet and, and, and stuff like that. And that was way before the days of people on their phones, video and everything. So, you know, it's just like, and I, and I think that's what kind of what pushed me towards it, but I had, you know, a bunch of messed up things happen in my family and, and it gave me a, it also gave me a belonging and, you know, a sense of belonging. And not only that, but there's nothing better than, you know, when you get around other band kids from wherever they're, wherever they are. Um, and I say band, orchestra, choir. I mean, you, you kind of have this, this cool connection that happens because you're another band kid. <laughs> you know, it's like, or you're another. And, you know, I, I experienced something where I played in, you know, we went to, across the United States and played in some competitions, different places. And, you know, there's just nothing better than band kids will cheer for band kids. I mean, <laughs> you may not sound the best, but you're not a band kid. So, wahoo! <laughs> and now introducing uh, the band from blah, blah, blah. They don't say, where are they from? No, instead they cheer, you know, it's like, and you may not have had any of that before that. And that's uh, really cool. That's neat that you guys have that, that, uh, that uh, competition or, you know, just bringing them together for all those performances, especially in a cool major performance hall. Nice stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's not just about opportunity, but it's providing uh, memories for the children, right? Like one, an opportunity that they can say, you know, 20 years later that I performed, we have students that have performed at the world trade center, amazing opportunity and to see them walk in on the you know 69th floor with the glass windows with their heads peering out that's an opportunity those are bragging rights right that's self-confidence that they wouldn't have had otherwise obviously pre-pandemic um our students perform not at just at the world trade center but at the chrysler building for the holidays again nice. to be on a school bus to be in front of all those people um, the confidence that it builds in them, you know, they look like, um, like, you know, uh, puffins with their chests popped out and everything. That's bragging rights. That's confidence, right? Like we performed, you didn't do that today, right? Like what an amazing opportunity, but it's about making memories for them. It's so important. It's so very important. I so agree with you because it's, there's nothing, there's nothing better than, uh, you know, because just once again, I got to go to my, my backlog, which is having been a really shy kid, you put on that uniform and you go to sit down and the shyness went away and there's nothing better than, I mean, if someone from a, 
you know, another school or another program, you know, you, you, you kind of connect with them or you admire them. You hear them playing and you're like, wow, you know, it's like, I mean, I, um, it's just the, the impact that it has on you. And it's just, it's just, a, I think, uh, an often awesome, what you're doing is just awesome. That's what I'm trying to say is that, uh, because uh, being able to provide those programs where it's not been and give kids opportunities to experience that. Wow. I, you know, I, there's nothing cooler than that. I'm right now. I got that. I used to have a band director used to talk about, uh, you want that. He'd always put moments in his show where, as he described it, that the hair would stand up on the back of people's necks, you know, cause that's what you want. You want that feeling as the music grows and all that sort of stuff. And I've always remembered that cause that's one of the things throughout, I think, all kids need to experience something like that because it's nothing, nothing better than, you know, that moment when, because uh, that feeling of that music growing, whatever it is, you know, that uh, you're going to get the applause or you're, you're going to have uh, the talk afterwards. Hey, man, I worked, I worked, it worked. We did it. We did it. You know, that type of thing. So. And it's really our teachers, right? A, a huge shout out to our teachers who in normal times are amazing professionals but obviously during the most challenging times through the pandemic have stepped up to the plate and, you know, to sound very corny, really have made lemonade out of lemons this year and not dropping the ball and making sure that they have been able to provide continuous opportunities for our students, you know, the last 18 months um, during the most challenging of times. Um, I like to say that music heals and music inspires, but it's all led by our amazing ETM teachers, really. That's so cool. And and I understand that you're preparing for this next year. So you're training teachers, hiring and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's a good yeah. segue, by the way. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, every year we try to increase our partnerships and we bring on more teachers and um, we have an excellent pool of teachers and working with teachers, you have diverse needs and skill sets. We have some teachers who've worked with us for several years who are, you know, still working on, on getting certified and hired. And then we bring in some brand new starter teachers. And, uh, you know, this year, I think our, our theme is kind of getting back to basics. Most of our teachers were teaching in person this year, uh, which as Penny was alluding to has a whole, you know, whole ton of, complications and, and, and troubles there, you know, they were getting exposed to COVID and they were quarantining and they're teaching at multiple schools and teaching very small cohorts of kids. Some schools didn't want the kids singing. So you couldn't sing in music. Some schools didn't, you know, they couldn't hold instruments or play things. So our teachers were very creative, you know, even if they were teaching in person this year, they, they weren't teaching music a way that they had ever done before. So we really want to best support them on thinking about going back into those classrooms with full rooms of students. And then also taking into perspective that our students are coming into these classrooms having lived through a year and a half of pandemic. And what are they bringing with them, right? What are these social emotional needs that they need to have met before they are able to engage in these academic spaces? Music is the perfect place for us to help meet those social emotional needs in this experience of community music making like we've been talking about all along. So as we're thinking about getting our teachers set, we're also thinking about this idea of how do we build in the social emotional needs of students into every aspect of the music classroom and the way that we build relationships with our students and create expectations for that room and how we cooperate with each other and the way that we build our curriculum and what are the things that we're choosing to teach and why and how are we doing that? As 
for the specifics of our programming, our teachers uh, work in New York City Public Schools, and the New York City Public Schools use a Danielson evaluation framework for evaluating their teachers. So in helping to best support our teachers' needs and preparing to be hired by the New York City Department of Education and advocate for themselves and what they're doing in their music rooms, we also use that framework when working with and evaluating our teachers. So our summer academy, we start before the school year starts. Uh, we work with just our music teachers and, the, and our, you know, Department of Education teachers who partner with us to give them music-specific training and development before the school year starts. And so this year, the way that we're structuring our training is that we'll be focusing on the Danielson Evaluation Framework. It has different uh, components. So the first one is based on your planning and instruction. So we'll have our first day is going to be devoted to thinking about lesson planning, again, working in these social emotional standards. Um, we've been working this whole last year on really be, being culturally responsive educators and thinking about who are these people, you know, who are our students? How do we teach them authentically? How do they learn in a way that is authentic to them? So continuing to build those into our curriculum. The second day is all about your classroom environment. How are you setting up your physical spaces? How are you building relationships with your students? How are you delivering expectations? They're building those expectations in your program. So really how that classroom runs and operates and what is that feeling in there? What is the relationship between the teacher and student? And the third day is really how does the learning happen? That's kind of that, that third aspect of the Danielson is are you, how are you assessing students? Are you, are you using questionings? When is their opportunity to actively engage and talking about on our third day? And we'll do kind of two sets of that because we realize that teachers have different needs if they're a new teacher versus a returner teacher. Also, we have elementary teachers versus secondary teachers. So we really try to offer um, a variety of, of courses, you know, based on the needs of our teachers because we really want to best support each teacher in their community. That's awesome. That's cool. That's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it, thanks for sharing that information because it's, it, it's neat thinking about that. Cause as a note, I got to tell you, I mean, the teacher makes the experience and it makes it successful or, or shoots it in the foot. And, you know, and that's, uh, the, all those people that you're looking for and bringing them in. And, you know, as I was talking to you, obviously I, I start forgetting that you do have that wide range of age brackets that you're working with. And, uh, so it's just so amazing. Very cool. Good. And, Good, good stuff going on. You know, can, and I understand that, uh, you know, people reach out and, and, uh, sponsor or, or help out, uh, um, education through music. Can you talk a little bit about if someone wanted to, to somehow, uh, be a sponsor or help with something like that, how they do that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the best way to find out about all of the information about education through music is to visit our website, etmonline.org. Um, Right on the top left-hand side, there's a donate button. You can't miss it. Um, but there are other opportunities, you know, volunteering opportunities, advocacy, ambassadors for, for you know, education through music, um, those that are willing to get the word out. If somebody's interested in joining our board or our organization, they're welcome um, to uh, research everything that we do on our website as well. People are also welcome to contact me at any time um, via email. I can be reached at pswift at etmonline.org. Um, but you'll find so much information about the work that we do, all the students uh, that we are seeing on a weekly basis, the schools that we partner with, the history of the organization, again, all available on our website. 
Very cool. I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. The uh, as we're closing up, is there uh, any last messages you guys would like to uh, to to leave us thinking about? Because I got I got two questions left that have nothing to do with what we've been talking about. So I just like to ask my guests. So, well, I mean, first and foremost, I'd really like to thank you for the, the time and the opportunity. But um, as we were speaking earlier, um, I am so passionate about the work that we do. And so very lucky to work with such an amazing group of individuals that are passionate. But opportunity in education is really the future for every child. Um, and we are here to make sure that the pursuit of equity and providing access to every child um, is, is first and foremost. Um, I said it earlier and I'll say it again, but your zip code should not determine the quality of education that you receive. Um, we are passionate about making sure that um, we eliminate those barriers for children and give them the opportunities uh, that every child deserves at the end of the day. Awesome. Stephanie, any final thoughts? I think just continuing in that same line that Penny was saying, I think that people don't know what the state of music in schools is in, in their own hometowns, you know, and just talking with my own family, you know, my, my husband is from Wisconsin and talking with, you know, my father-in-law, he just found out recently that, you know, where, where music was a fixture in schools in their hometown, it is no longer, you know? And so if those are, if those are things that are important to you and that you're passionate about, you know, re reach out and find out ways that you can help and support organizations like ETM, you know, that are, are making sure that that doesn't change for students because we know that these are life changing things. Excellent. Excellent. I, great messages. And uh, as someone who definitely benefited from it, I got to tell you, this is it's so cool what you guys are doing because, you know, I, you get to witness, uh, um, you know, <laughs> having been in a band at one point that uh, won all kinds of awards and had over 150 kids in it and then moving <laughs> to a place where school was twice the size, should have had a band that was twice the size of the one I left and had um, only 31 kids in it. And uh, that band director left. I got to experience him going away and then a new one coming in and then the, the growth of a music program. It just, I mean, just the impact that anything, the, the good stuff that it has on your world is just amazing. So um, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, I got two last questions that I'd like to talk about. And the first one is this, and I'd, I'd like it if each of you kind of chime into this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Quitting and failure is not an option, right? There, there are people that need us. We are, I mean, it has to do with work ethic, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> I was raised with a great deal of work ethic, but it's important work. Um, you have to stay focused on what's important, and the children, children are important. Um, it's our legacy. It's our future. Um, I would never think of backing down when things get tough or, or get hard. Um, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. And that's the impact at the end of the day. That's our legacy. And that's the organization's legacy. Most important. Excellent. Yeah. You know, I think in my time with ETM, um, as I've been able to kind of work through different roles, I've become further and further removed from, you know, the students in the classroom. But I know now that, the work that I do and the decisions that I make have even more of an impact on them. And so when things, when school shut down and 
students are losing access because their music teachers literally cannot connect to them. I know that if I just say this is too hard, it doesn't have an answer, there's nothing we can do, that that affects a whole bunch of students. So I, I, the decisions that we make and the work that we do impact a whole lot of people in really important ways. And that, and that really drives me to say, we've got to figure this out. We've got to, we've got to keep pushing because this is, this is a whole lot of people. And then that's why I wanted to get into this work because I am so passionate about the value of music for students. And I knew that working in an organization like education through music would let me reach so many more than just my one school and classroom. Very cool. Last question for you both. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Stephanie, you want to go ahead? And then... I, this is such a hard question for me to answer because I've had such a long <laughs> history of teachers going through, you know, from elementary to grad school who've had such great impact on me. And I, and I think the thing that I think about is, you know, not how they taught me to be a great musician, but how they made me feel loved, how they made me feel skilled and talented and valuable. And when I think about those people who left that mark on me, so many of my, my you know, private trumpet teachers, and j just to name a few, I would have to say Max was my, my very first one, Christopher Dolsky, helped me in my undergrad so much, building me up, encouraging me to go on to New York City and pursue my dreams. In New York City, Lori Frank, who is no longer with us, just did so much to build me up and, and help me make a place in this crazy town. Um, and then all the way, you know, all the way back to, you know, last but not least, Nathan Farrell, um, one of my very first band teachers who just instilled um, just a, a love and a drive for playing the trumpet and just my super competitive nature. He just, you know, really helped me pull that out. Um, but so much to be grateful for. They really, all these teachers helped me through great transitions in my life. And um, really, I just feel really loved and valued by them. So. Excellent. The, Penny, you get one? Yeah. So I have a few. Um, I mentioned earlier, Mrs. Woods, my third grade teacher, elementary school quite a few years ago. And my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Toplensky, who, really gave me a sense of belonging in, in the midst of transition when we were moving from one area in the Bronx to the other, but really inspired me when I thought my world was crashing and I wasn't going to become an attorney or a lawyer or go to law school. And I remembered back on how they inspired me. Um, I also remember Professor Jiggetts when I was an education major, really teaching us about the passion of educate, of educating students and not so much what the students would get out of it, but what you would get out of it as a person. And I just remember sitting in that, you know, very large auditorium with him and listening with his passion and hoping I would take something away from that and be like him. But as a, as a lifelong learner and educator, I've also been very fortunate to work with some amazing colleagues who've taught me along the way and recognizing that my education didn't end in the classroom but through my you know, professional experience as well. And I am eternally grateful for all of that as well. 
Awesome. I, I, I can't thank you both enough for uh, joining me today. Uh, Penny and Stephanie, thanks so much for talking with us uh, about education through music. I mean, you guys are striving to offer music programs for students who are in under-resourced schools in New York City, and what an incredible focus and, uh, and purpose. I think it's so awesome, and I wish you all the best in the pursuit of everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio. Your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.